Hi, I'm Alice. I'm the co-founder and COO of Eden. Hi, I'm Marie Cuadio. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Eden. And what we love about beauty is that it's about our culture, our heritage, and not just about the way we look. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Welcome to this week's episode of Beauty is Your Business. I'm Jessica Quick, co-hosting alongside my partner in crime, Denise Dente. And this week, we are buzzing about brands that take a very focused approach to the marketplace. Over the years, we have seen brands like Proactive, Curlsmith, and even recently on our show, the founders of ClearStem, a brand focused on acne. And what I love about this conversation, uh, Denise and I have frequently, is when a founder is ready to come to market, do they go focused, very focused, or do they go more broad and therefore appeal to more people, more investors, even potentially more retailers? Denise, I know we battle back and forth on this. There's no actual right answer, but it is a conversation that we love having, especially as we speak with new brands and new founders. It really is. And I'm excited to talk to you ladies today, even about your background and how you started and how you met each other at Google. I, there's so much to talk about. I can't wait. Well, then let's dive in. Marie, Alice, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. And let's start there where Denise is kicking off and walk us through, you know, as two founders, how did you meet and where did the genesis for Edom come from? So Marie and I actually met working in tech. We met at Google almost 10 years ago. It was one of those instant kind of soulmate work friendships that we had. And it, it really came from the fact that, you know, working in tech, you know, there aren't that many women and there aren't that many women who are women of color like us. So even though we like to say, even though we look different on the outside and we come from different backgrounds, Marie grew up in Paris, France, but she and her family are from the Ivory Coast in West Africa. And I grew up in the US, born and raised, but my parents immigrated from Taiwan. So we have vastly different backgrounds. We look different on the outside, but we thought that we had a, a shared perspective when it came to the way we approached work, the way we approached our families, and even the way we approached beauty. We were kind of like straddling two different cultures and making sense of what beauty means to us. And so that was kind of the genesis I'd say for Edom was like the foundation of our friendship and the kind of shared perspectives that we had, not just culturally, but even from a beauty perspective. And we even took a, a trip to South Korea together because that's how much we were passionate about skincare. We came back with 200 sheet masks and a, a, a suitcase full of products. Um, and, and what's funny is that over the years, we had dreams for a lot of different companies and have made decks and like, you know, had a ton of ideas, but that's the one that was dear to us and that stuck the most. And, and that's why we decided to go into skincare for people that look like us. So dive in a little bit into Edom, because when you launched, you launched with one product, which I loved. So talk to us a little bit about the ethos of that and then why one product and where you are today. So Edem was born from our own research, but also our needs, right? 
I remember browsing the internet, looking for skincare products made for black women, and then reading articles about toxicity and harmfulness of products that black women use for their beauty needs, and talking to Alice about that, and then digging in even more and realizing that in her culture and for Asian women, some of the issues were the same, right? You have dark spots, there is colorism in our cultures and this idea that when you have lighter skin tone, you look better. And so that was an interesting angle for us because when we looked out there, there were no brands that were, you know, celebrating melanin skin, celebrating people with darker skin tone and saying that, yes, you can fade your dark spots, but we don't have to bleach our skin. And that was an, our entire thing, like how can we differentiate on the market with products that speak to the demographic and that actually work and, and do what they're supposed to, to do without bleaching or without harming your beautiful skin. You mentioned getting on a plane and spending time together. I know that Jessica and I get so much work done when we're on some of those long haul flights. But when you talk about skincare and some of your background, how did you pivot from tech into skincare? And can certainly appreciate the sheet mask story. We all have those sheet mask stories. Uh, I seem to remember one of a shape like a panda at some point that we picked up. A cat, <laughs> I think we had. Yeah, we would the same. We would come back with suitcases full of just, especially in South Korea. But I will say Denise's one, my favorite, we would go to the UK before Batiste came here. And Denise would literally show with her suitcase in boots to empty out their aisle of Batiste hair shampoo. <laughs> so oh we fully... <laughs> I feel like everyone has a story like that, actually. Yeah, for sure. Our suitcases were overweight. I was on a fifth floor walk up in New York and my roommate had to come up and like carry it all back for me. Yeah, how we transitioned from tech to skincare. Well, I think is that Marie and I both have individual experiences within beauty and our own experiences of what it felt like to be an afterthought within beauty. Like growing up, I've always had terrible skin, severe cystic acne and eczema. And so I've spent most of my life dealing with that with different dermatologists, estheticians, even traditional Chinese medicine healers. Because when you have bad skin, you will do literally anything, buy any Amazon product, take whatever ingestible people suggest to try to kind of conquer that. And it wasn't until I was working with different professionals that they helped me understand, like, you know, when you have more melanin in your skin, like every time something happens to you, you're bugged by, you get acne, you have eczema flare up, like you're going to have hyperpigmentation afterwards. And there's a specific way you should deal with that. And I was telling Marie about my, my lifelong skin struggles. And she's like, oh, that's so interesting because I also get hyperpigmentation from wearing glasses or from when I scratch myself. And so then we dug further into the research and, you know, hyperpigmentation is just more common when you have more melanin in your skin because we're more sensitive to inflammation and even actives. And I think that's not something a lot of people think about. Like when they think about non-white skin, a lot of professionals will tell you like, oh, your skin is tougher. You can handle more. You can have stronger acids, but it's actually the opposite that's true biologically. And, and even for me, my personal story was that I remember I was in Paris shopping for a foundation product. And so I go into one of the big department stores there. I'm super excited because this big brand has just released more shades and their spokesperson for the campaign is this actress that's black and has the same shade as me. So I get in the store all excited with my credit card, like, yes, today I'm going to spend some money. And I ask the sales associate for my shade and they look at me kind of like, you know, uncomfortable and they're like, oh no, we don't carry those shades here, which is crazy because the shade exists. 
I'm here to buy it, but you don't have it. What does that say? And it left a really bad taste in my mouth. And I was like, oh, I guess there's a lot to do in this industry. And I kind of want to dig and see what more we can do there. Um, and then back to your question from a more, I don't know, scientific or methodological way of how you go from tech to beauty. I think being for so long in tech, we spent combined 20 years uh, working at Google. You learn a methodology on how to build things, on how to look at things, on how to problem solve. And we apply the exact same thing um, to our business. And I feel like that's what makes us stand out because not coming from beauty is our big advantage. We look at things very differently. Walk us through that a little bit more. I think that's fascinating. So you have this idea about a product and now you're ready to come to market with it and you are from tech. So talk to us a little bit about some of the obstacles in those beginning months as you were speaking with you know, potential retailers or that you were talking to friends, family about this launching, what were some of the early objections that you were hearing? I think for us coming from tech, it's a lot about questioning everything, really understanding your end consumer, what exists on the market, why is it not working? So it's a combination of really, really knowing your user and also really knowing your product and iterating on it until you have something great, which I feel like coming in as an outsider to the beauty industry was really surprising that, you know, people work with manufacturers and work off of existing products and you only get a certain number of iterations. And we're like, no, 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 like that's not how we're going to do this. So we had to find a chemist that would give us the unlimited iterations that would work with us really closely and make sure we cross-reference all the research. And then we talked about clinical research and even testing the product itself, which is not standardized. And so for us at every step of the way, it was like, what do you mean it's always been done like this? Why is it like that? especially coming from tech at the speed we want to work. It was like having to call people every day, manufacturers and be like, hello, did you get my email? Can you please respond? It was really, I think they thought we were crazy because we wanted everything done like quickly. It was an interesting experience for us. Oh, we do new product development. And I will say that that is something, you know, that we are on top of as well. You know, okay, we talked to you on Monday, but now it's Tuesday. So where are we at with things? <laughs> Also, one of the obstacles we, we encountered early on is that since we're not from the industry and it's a lot of relationships and who knows who and who introduces you to who, I remember sending so many emails to manufacturers being like, hey, we would love to work with you and never gotten any answer. And it's funny because today the same people then reach out to us and be like, oh, you have this business or, oh, we saw that your company won such and such award and we would love to work with you. So. It's been a, an interesting journey. Oh, well, that's what I'm sure when you got, what was it, Fast Company's top 10 most innovative companies, I'm sure your phone rang off the hook. Actually, we're number one. Number one. Awesome. That's just so amazing for a brand that did not come from and started in the industry. It's something unique. And we love that idea because we're big fans of diversity of thought. In fact, I think some of the best results come when you put together a team of people that have and come from diverse backgrounds. Absolutely. The other interesting thing about that list was, I think we were the only company that had raised no outside money to get on that list, which is like unique in its own way, just for, for being a beauty industry that is stocked at Sephora. I think even Maria mentioned the fact that relationships matter so much. So the fact that 
one, you made the list, then two, you're number one on the list. And then all of the distribution that you've been getting and all of the attention being what I'll refer to as an outsider, not coming from this, I think that you've made some really big headway with that. Yeah. So I'd love to understand, did you then, is it bootstrapped by your own piece? Is that something where you knew coming into it, you wanted to put your own money behind it? And then at some point you would look to go through an investment or some other type of form of capital raising, or are you guys really thinking we can do this on our own? I think it's a little bit of both. It's our personalities to think we can do this on our own. And I feel like that's the way immigrant parents raise their kids. Like, no, you can do this and go all the way and you don't need anyone. And you're so strong and that has bad sides too, but I'm not going to get into that. But the thing that, yeah, you can stand on your own and you can be strong. And then really trying to explain to an investor who's usually a man that doesn't look like us, that you're doing one beauty, two, that it's for people that are not white. And like, what do you mean, melanin? Like, what's that? We've had those conversations. And, and I remember even in the early days talking to a potential VC and him telling me, your brand is never going to go anywhere because the people you're targeting don't have money. And so they cannot afford this product. So it doesn't make any sense. And that was kind of a, you know, a traumatizing experience. And my personality is like, oh, let me prove you wrong. And that's what we did. Well, I think you actually started your story out by saying that you were in Paris and you walked into the department store and you had money in your pocket and you were dying to spend it and couldn't. So I think that in itself tells you, and that's what, you know, when we were talking about your brand and everything that we loved about it it seems like there's this opportunity for retailers to capture this client that wants to spend money, wants to have something specific for them. And it sounds like that that's what you've managed to tackle. So when you have these conversations at the retailers and even now obviously being in Sephora, are they seeing that? Is this a client that's finally being serviced at Sephora or is it a new client that's coming into Sephora looking for Edom? Do you even get that kind of in-depth information from them? Because that's super interesting to think about what, not only are, what you're servicing for the client, but then for the retailer, the channel that you're opening for them. Well, I don't want to speak for Sephora and their audience, but I think they themselves have said, you know, they were interested in kind of capturing a more diverse audience and understanding that the offerings they had on their shelves could have been expanded, which I think is like what kind of prompted them to accelerate to expand their Sephora Accelerate program, for example. But we do know our community really well. What the feedback we see from them is like so exciting and it means so much to have a company that kind of centers me and things about me at the forefront on the shelves of Sephora is really means a lot. I mean, like we both, I guess all of us would grew up growing to Sephora for, for most of our adult lives. And I feel like for the first time, this is the first time we're having a conversation around diversity of skin tone and skincare. It's just, you know, it's still pretty new um, in this industry. And really speaking about Sephora, you know, that's a big step, as we all know. When you get on the shelves of Sephora, you have to come with your A-game, as you know, and you need to really think about how you're going to sell off the shelves because you have a moment in time to do that and prove yourself. So what are some of the things that you are doing to help Sephora, to help your retailers sell the product off the shelf? So I think 
as you said, there might be some misconception that once you're at Sephora, people will buy your product and that's your success. But no, actually, you have to work even more. And full confidence, actually, Sephora had reached out to us even before we launched the first time to have a conversation. But we said no, we said we, we were not ready and that we had a bunch of other things to do before we were ready to have that conversation because we knew how much work it would take to partner with them. So smart. Fast forward to now where things are amazing and we're so happy to be there, but a lot of the awareness building depends on us, right? We're the ones that have to wrangle our communities. We're the ones that have to communicate that our products are at Sephora with digital marketing, telling it on our social channels, finding smart ways of getting people to go in store, um, making sure we have good relationship with the sales people that are in each and every store. Like I literally go to my local Sephora every week and talk to the people there. I think by now I, they know me that I'm not just shopping, but those are things that you have to do as a founder, understand how the company works, making sure your community goes and looks for your product or goes and asks for to Sephora, for example, Sephora Canada. We have so many people uh, go and ask Sephora Canada, okay, when is Idem going to come to Canada? So it's really your responsibility so much more than the, the retailers. And, and I think that you need to have part of your marketing driving directly there. We agree completely. Sephora is, and any retailer really, you know, having the right structure in place and having the right mindset, because you can't just ship your opening order to them and, you know, it just goes on. It doesn't go on cruise control ever. Hope for the best. Yeah. Or have hope. And you just said it. Like everybody says, oh, we got the Sephora order and we hope we do well. And that's not going to work. <laughs> also, you only launch once. So if you miss that opportunity, it's, it's, it's kind of a... Yes, it's very hard to restart. How did you... So you get Sephora early on. I mean, I know they wanted you even prior to launch, but early in your days of launch, you get Sephora. How did you structure yourselves to support them? And then when was that point where you said, okay, we are ready to move into Sephora? Like, I feel confident now that we have the right pieces in place. What does the structure look like? And what were the pieces that happened for you to say yes to them? So up until two months ago, you're looking at the entire company. It was just the two of us <laughs> doing everything, including then handling the relationship with Sephora and making sure that we had the inventory to ship to them and, and all that. So that was the structure. And Alice leads a lot of the relationship with them because she happens to be in SF. It was a lot of work. We didn't sleep a lot during the past 18 months. And now we have teammates to help us. But for the longest time, it was very personal. And I think that's part of why we're successful is that we would be the ones talking to our merchant every day and like having coffee and taking them to lunch and having real conversations and it goes so much further when it's the founders doing that versus someone that you hire to do it. It's not the same, I think, involvement or passion. And particularly in the beginning, this is an opportunity to get to know every possible facet of the business. And it sounds like you guys are definitely in it. So that is, you know, so good. And then with two of you, how do you divide up the workload? What does some of that look like for you? Do each of you have very different strengths? And so you play into your strengths. Do you have crossover? How do you decide who does what with a partnership like this? 
we do have very similar strengths, but I'd say that's in a good way in that like we overlap in the way we think often. And so there's not a lot of like friction, I would say between us and the way we make our decisions, but it kind of naturally split into like Marie leads product innovation and a lot of the supply chain. Cause that's, she's super passionate about it and is constantly thinking about it. And it's kind of made sense for it to fall that way. And then I would kind of pick it up from once the inventory is done, like through to the end consumer. So, you know, social media, email, customer service, things like that. And a part of that was just a mix of our backgrounds previously. I, I have mixed in operations. Marie has like an engineering technical background as well. So it kind of naturally played to our strengths, but we both do a lot of the marketing community stuff together because that's where we work together in brand marketing at Google. So then it sounds very similar to a lot of founder stories, right? Really deciding how you're going to, who's going to tackle what, but also knowing there is overlap and being okay and comfortable with stepping on each other's toes. Because in the beginning, there is only two of you and there are so many hats to wear. You then started working closely with Dr. Ann Brewer. How did that relationship come about? And what does Dr. Ann Brewer bring to your company? Ah, uh, yes. My very good childhood friend, Dr. Brewer is actually a colleague of, of his, and he is not a dermatologist. So I was telling him about what we were doing and saying that we were looking for a dermatologist to consult with. Dr. Brewer is really unique in that she has spent a lot of time in rotation in different regions. So she spent time with the Navajo Nation doing a dermatology rotation. She spent time in Tanzania, and then now she's a practicing dermatologist in Hawaii. So she kind of understood skin of color and their needs. And so that was the conversation we started with her. And then now we kind of work with her to consult in terms of when we do clinical testing, when we look at formulation and look at what kind of areas we want to focus on to make sure that it's in line with skin of color, our concerns, but also any watch outs or, or ingredients we should know about. She kind of consults from that perspective. And so many brands and so many people have great ideas and they even make great product, but there's often some type of catalyst, something that comes along that shifts and changes the direction from just having a good idea and product in a box to really making the company go and that gas in the tank. Was there one particular catalyst for you or a couple of different things that happened that really got you on the map? I think it's twofold, right? It's the fact that for us, this brand is, is not a product. If you remove our products, the brand still stands and we could go tomorrow and do apparel. The next day we could do furniture, but the story about cultures and heritage and women that straddle multiple origins and heritages, that still stands true. And so on the day-to-day, -day, that's going to be the catalyst. And then if you look at real-life events that have put us on the map, I would say the first one is that we were part of the first cohort of Glossier grantees in 2020. And of course, when you have a brand like that, that's talking about you and giving you, you know, space to tell your story on their Instagram, where they had 2 million followers at the time, that's huge. Um, the second thing was when we told Sephora that we were not ready, a few months later, we saw that they were doing their accelerator program. And so we applied to that because we felt that was the best way possible to start the partnership. They would take us in, they would incubate us, they would explain more things that when you're just another vendor. And so that's the second event that put us even more on the map. 
Those are huge catalysts. I love that, the opportunity and that you took them because a lot of the times we see these come through, but we either second guess whether or not we would actually get in. And so is it worth the time or we are so busy, we forget and don't do it. And so I love that you guys jumped on every opportunity you could. Where do you see Edom going and having, you know, this, like you've said, this strong brand story that can stand on its own. You can go many places. Where do you see the next few years going for you? We have this discussion a lot and we think about this a lot, but I think at least for the next few years, we want to be really, really focused about being at the forefront of skincare and establishing ourselves because there's still so much brand awareness that we need to build. There's so much expertise, so much research that still needs to be done around skin of color. So for us, it's really about, you know, building that product innovation, standing out and kind of disrupting the industry. We've kind of scratched at the surface. I think we're starting to show that there's something here, but there's still so much more that needs to be done from a research, from a product perspective um, that we're really excited about. Look, I think you bring up a very good point. When you're innovative and maybe you're first to market or one of the first to market, you do have first mover advantage. But at the same time, what comes with that is the responsibility and the cost to educate and market and create awareness So I do have a question kind of around that. You know, we talk to people all the time that say, oh, you know, brand awareness, uh, just go out and sell product. Don't worry about building brand awareness. Yeah, we don't necessarily find that to be the case, but we have heard it. (laughs) Where do you stand with this being on the forefront and having that responsibility of having to do this brand awareness and the cost and the education to do it? Where does that play into your plan for us it's the non-negotiable part of what we're doing um there's no edem without the brand awareness and the education Uh, actually we launched our instagram and our blog about beauty almost a year before we launched a single product because we knew that we had to explain a little bit more what we were about and that by putting those stories out there, the people who we're talking to would self-identify and be like, oh my God, I found my home. That was the entire thing. It's still true to, till this day. Education, community building, explaining to people that their skin is different. Why when you use all these products, they don't work? Or maybe, you know, they were not made for you. Those are all things that, that we still need to do and that will not give up on doing. And I think the second thing is that, yes, we were the first to bring this to market, but the more and more companies that are going to do it as well, that's going to help. Like competition is welcome when, when you uncover a truth like that. And so we're really excited for other brands to talk about it as well. We find the same thing that when you ingrained in us, right, to think that competition is bad, but the truth is when there is competition in a space that is new or a space that is coming out, it needs more education, it needs more more awareness, the more competitors actually you have in that space that can help carry that load that even if their story doesn't exactly resonate with yours, the fact is more people are hearing it, more people are touched by it. And therefore you're more likely to get some of that really nice halo. And we agree. We actually see competitors in beauty specifically as a positive. And I love that we started this conversation talking a bit about being an outsider to the industry and I think a lot of founders feel this way that in the beginning, they are on their own island, that they're by themselves. Um, Even if they've had 20 years of being an executive in the beauty industry, they still, when they found a company, they start, they're by themselves. 
And we've met a lot of founders that have really worked hard to build a community um, together. And I I will say that's kind of, for me, given me a lot of hope and just excitement that we're looking at this in a different way that as founders, even if we share the same space, there's a lot of pie to be had and there are people out there willing to help. I look at these like these grants and these accelerator programs and so on that really, I think, in some vein, also iterate this. They want to see brands succeed, founders succeed, especially when they meet a need, a need the consumer has. So I hope that for you guys, I hope that we are able to connect you and you have found a nice network of other founders that are here to support. Even, gosh, we've even seen them pick up the phone and call about like, my supplier can't do this. Do you know anybody else? And you would never think that that's a thing. But in this industry, it is. People will help. It is. Absolutely. We've had a few people like that that have, I don't know, 30 years of experience and they would guide you and make intros and that goes a long way. So It really does. And then who from either internally in your team, I think it was Marie, you said that you're pretty much in charge of the product development. Where do you get some of your ideas from a product standpoint? How much do you do things internally versus go to outside sources versus even maybe your community of followers? That is a loaded question for someone like me. I don't sleep much at night, so that is great for what I do. I love to read. I am Wikipedia, basically. If I don't know anything about a topic, I'm going to go so deep that by the end, I feel like I've become quote unquote an expert on the topic. So that's what I apply to product. I read a lot of scientific papers. I study what others are doing. I study comments on social media. Like I'm on TikTok and let's say it's a video about skin and I'm going to go really deep into the comments and see what people are saying. And that gives me a ton of insights and ideas. And then we ask our community as well, right? Like what? are your concerns? What do you think we should do? We even have this group of over 100 women that we speak to and that we ask to test product and that we're constantly in contact with and, and that helps tremendously as well. So it's it's all these things. I'm laughing because like Marie really takes it to the next level. Like she'll be watching videos in Korean or I think she found a video like from Indonesia and I had to like ping my friend who who is Indonesian in Indonesia being like, have you heard of this? Can you tell me about what they're saying? Like, like we're going international here when we go on the research. And that's a big part of it, tapping into all those different people, even around the world. We've got somebody in France that when we need to know what's happening in France, that's who we pick up the phone or the Middle East too, is, okay, it's one thing to read it and see it. Um, it's another thing to be in the community and be seeing it firsthand. So just having access to people around the world it does matter. Well, Marie, Alice, thank you so much for the time. There were so many topics we didn't even get into. So much still left to discuss. So definitely the door is wide open to have you back. And and especially in this in this area of skincare, which as we've been talking about, definitely deserves more time spent and conversations around. So thank you so much for the time today. If our listeners, if they want to get a hold of you, is there a great way to do that? Yes, they can email us at hello at edom.co or even DM us at edom.co. We're constantly in there. We used to do customer service ourselves completely. So your message will not get lost. We will definitely see it. 
Oh, well, thank you so much, ladies, for being on the show. And if you want to keep buzzing with us, head over to buzzbeauty.com. This has been Beauty Is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.